Freedom Center. I like not having enough chairs. That's fun for me. I, I think that's cool. We are missing a few extra rows up front, and the reason we're doing that is to provide space um, during this season of, of learning and relearning how to worship together. Uh, after two years of kind of worshiping at arm's length or on our iPads at home, we're just kind of figuring out again how to, how to worship together as a congregation. So I think this is week four of this series. And some people said, hey, how much longer is the series going to last? And here's my answer. I don't really know the answer to that question, but the thought is this, that right now I think it's kind of what we're doing because of, of the sermon series that we're in. So my, my thought is this, and I think this is the Lord, but if it's not, then I'll stand corrected. And it happens so often that I'm very comfortable standing corrected or sitting or lying down or rolling over, you know, corrected. But I think when, when this becomes normal enough that when we do shift gears, we take this with us, then that's when we'll shift gears. Does that make sense? So if you're like, hey, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for this series to be over with because I'm not really a, a worshiper. Singing kind of bothers me, and I, I just don't care for it. First of all, you're going to hate heaven. Um, but but, but I, I get it because it's, like, it's not my thing or whatever. I get it. But, but I, I see this. I, I'm not like waiting for the last person in this room to get it before. I, we'd be waiting here all the time. But, but I, think, I think that that sense of this is who we've become now, uh, where we don't have to, like, wrong phrase, but gin it up. We don't have to, now let's all, everybody come to the, like, it just happens. So I, I, I'll say this, that the sooner this becomes who we are, the sooner we'll move on. And, and knowing what's coming next, if I were you, I'd pray this lasts a really long time. Because after this, we're going to learn about, like, serving each other, loving each other really well. And boy, there's so many things that stand between my wounded heart, if you will, and perfectly loving mankind. How about you? So, like, this is, think of this. It's like they put the mask of your face, they say, breathe deeply. That's where we are right now. After that comes the cutting. So prepare to bleed. Amen. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So I do want to say as you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we're going to start there. I want to say good morning. I have to, I have to write it down now. Graham Blank, Pastor Jim and Carrie Parkin in Mississippi. I'm sorry, that was just a Yankee thing to do. One Down in Mississippi, our house campus there. Genesee County Jail. We're so glad that you're joining us today. WSNL Radio 600 AM. Online and live stream are all a part of this throughout various places. So good morning, Mom. Good to see you down in Florida where it's warm, and we all hate that it's warm there. So I will say one last thing. If you're, like, encouraged because it's warm outside now, and you're like, hey, it's spring, welcome to Michigan, first of all. I'm glad that you've decided to move here. But second of all, remember this, this, this phrase, just because the Lions are good in the preseason doesn't mean the Lions are a good team. <laughs> and just because it's warm in March... It doesn't mean it's spring, right? So we, we have to be resilient people because we're Michigan folks. Somebody say amen. So let's get into Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm pressing the button and nothing happened, fellas. Remember, I did this during practice right now. So tech guys, I'm pressing the button. Nothing's happening. And I'm going to leave this here for someone to learn how to just, you'll fix something, I'm sure, and sometime in the meantime, I'm going to use my phone because like golf, this is the stuff that makes preachers cuss. There it is. Okay, good. You ever wonder if they do it to me on purpose? I'm just saying. I don't mean them. I mean like God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, right? Let's just see if he's good at this yet or not. Okay, here we go. This is what Paul says. He says, for I am not ashamed of the tech team. No, for I am not ashamed. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, why? It's the power of God. Say that with me, will you? It's the 
power of God. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, gospel means good news, is the power of God that brings, that delivers, that, that brings to our door in 30 minutes or less or it's free, salvation, being saved from our sins. But there's more than that we'll get into this morning. And salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then everybody else. For in the gospel, in this good news, the gospel, the righteousness of God. How many of you guys know that some of us are more righteous than others? But none of us can comprehend the righteousness of God. That, that being right every time, in right standing, with right heart, with right motive, with right outcome, regardless of cost, being in rightness before God. The righteousness that, that is revealed, this righteousness of God that's revealed, a righteousness that is by what? Come on, say it again, by what? It's by faith. So there's, and they say, what does faith mean? It means, it means to trust in. It means to comprehend that reality pertains to your words or your actions or your personhood. So the way we become righteous, the righteousness of God has been revealed to us. This good news that we can be right standing, in right standing before God and be right people in this world, light and salt. Well, how's it revealed to us? Well, we have to trust the one who sent it. We have to trust that what he's done is enough. Who he is is enough. What he said is enough. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul is talking here about, uh, I didn't press the button, you're doing it for me now, is that what's happening? I understand, okay. <laughs> Paul here is talking to his friends in Ephesus. Go back one, because I still need those notes, guys. You went a little too quick for me, there we go. Um, Paul's talking to his friends in Ephesus, and he's describing his, the, the, the life's work, his life's work of, of the gospel. Now, he's going he's gonna to use some descriptive words, and they're so descriptive that one translation, I thought, paled in comparison. So give us the message one here, guys. Now press the button. Ugh. Yeah, there we go. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. Go to the NIV version. Look at this. The boundless riches of Christ. The ASV version. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And then the KJV. I even know the KJV. The King Jim version. Here it goes, right? This is me. The inexhaustible, generous, boundless, and unsearchable riches of Christ. They are found in the good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. So this, this, this grasping that there's something so profound that if we think we've got it all, we're probably wrong. If we think it's done all of its work in us, we're probably wrong. If we believe that what the gospel is and does is a completed work in us, now I, I know by faith and what God sees versus what we see, I, I, there's a positional righteousness we get when we are born again. Somebody say amen. Like we're forgiven, we're free. It's, there's justice for our sins that have been completely paid for and, and we are not owned. We're no longer slaves to our flesh, to sins, to the past. We're now, we're now slaves of destiny. We're now slaves of Christ. We are moving forward with Jesus. But understand this that there's more in the gospel than just forgiveness. I hope you get this. This is so good. So he's trying to explain this, the generous, this endless, this boundless, this inexhaustible, this unsearchable riches of Christ that are found in the gospel. And, and there are three cultures that Paul is addressing in Ephesus, and those three cultures still exist in our world today. And, and if you know what I'm talking about, anthropologically speaking, you'll say, wow, that Paul is so smart. Let me tell you something. Paul is smart, but the Holy Spirit's smarter than Paul. And the Holy Spirit inspired this book. And so this is what he, he says. He, t- he deals with the first issue, the first culture, which is guilt and innocence. Guilt and innocence. Um, in a guilt and innocence culture, which would be primarily the Western culture, a person is what they've done. Does that make sense? So if a person murders, they are a, if a person lies, they are a politician. If a, if a, if a person steals, 
They are a thief. Sorry, yeah, I started it. Now I have to finish it, right? So justice and, and injustice are very important to us. That are, are the, the picture, the kind of the Greek sculpture that's on the Supreme Court of Lady Justice blindfolded with the scales. Like it doesn't matter who put what on there. The scales will speak the truth. So Paul tells those in Ephesus that they aren't what they've done. They are what Jesus did for them. And he does it by saying this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, in him we have what? Redemption. What's that mean? It means we sold ourselves to sin, but Jesus bought us back. We are no longer the property of what we've done. We are the property of what he's done for us. Come on, that's so good. We are no longer, in Christ, remember, this is all by faith, so you've got to believe this. You've got to trust him who said it. But in Christ, through Christ, we are not what we've done. We are what he's done for us. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The what? The cleansing completely gone as if it never happened of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So Paul tells those in Ephesians, they aren't what they've done. They are what Jesus has done for them. The second culture he's going to deal with is called shame and honor. And maybe you've come across this. Guilt says you are what you've done, uh, but shame says this is who you are. So I'm trying to think of one that would be in our culture a little bit more. I remember the kids that did the, the bombing at the Boston Marathon? They put a bunch of nails and gunpowder and stuff into a crock pot and it went off and blew people up. They interviewed those kids' uncle. And this is what he said, because he's from a shame and honor culture. He says, your actions have brought shame on our family that will never be erased. Not only has it caused shame on our family, our entire nation is now marked in that country because of your actions. I am ashamed of you and I disown you. You are dead to me. So remember, guilt is what I've done, but shame is who I am. And, and although we say, well, that's what happens in the, the Far East, that's what happens in the Middle East, that's, that's a different culture. How many of us know that really isn't different to us, though, in some ways? There are things that we do that we then forgive. If you've been, uh, I'm talking to guys in Genesee County Jail, when you get out and you've done your time, then justice is served, right? But, but understand this, depending on what was done, there are certain crimes that culturally we would deal with differently, like crimes against children. Does that make sense? So even though you've paid your dues to society, your debt to society is paid by the time served in jail, there's still, there's still something. That you are what you have done, but you, you also are um, something else. Like, like you, what you did is now who you are. And, and so understand this, guys. Your, your actions have brought shame on our family, the uncle would say. The only way out of shame in that culture, and I think in this one too, is to be restored by someone with great honor that then honors you to restoration. Does that make sense? I saw this one time. Some of you guys may not be old enough to remember this man, but there was a, a guy on TV a lot, a preacher named Jim Baker. Anybody remember Jim Baker? Remember, it was like Jim Baker, Jim Swagger, Jim Jones, Jim Wiegand. It was a lot of fun to be a preacher named Jim for a while, you know. But, but Jim Baker had done some things and had an affair, very public marriage breakup. There was some oversold timeshares and went to prison for it. And the whole world jumped on. These televangelists became a bad word. It was a good word back in the 70s. It was a, a term of reproach in the 80s. And uh, Jim Baker, um, his son Jamie, went through the same program that I did in Phoenix. And Jamie didn't want anybody to know who his dad was. Didn't, didn't want anybody to know that his mom was Tammy Faye Baker with all the makeup and the crying and all that kind of stuff and the begging for money on TV. Just he was ashamed of it. So he was Jamie. He went by his middle name, but he was Jamie Baker. And I remember um, 
Jamie was going to share his testimony in front of about 6,000 pastors. They were there that day, and they invited the pastor, Tommy Barnett, who's a very honored man, wonderful, kind of the Billy Graham of, of our fellowship, uh, invited him to come and sit in the back room and secure They'd sneak him in, but he could be in the building while his son shared his testimony. And there was a part of that where, where Pastor Barnett said, you know what, I'm just going to say it. God has forgiven Jim Baker for what he's done. And there was like, amen, theologically, we agree with that, you know, guilt and innocence. He said, tonight, I want to invite him to come out on this stage. It, was, it wasn't planned. It was, I know the situation of the people involved. It wasn't planned. And he didn't want to go. Why is it Jim Baker didn't want to walk on that platform in front of a room full of preachers? It wasn't because what he'd done wasn't forgiven by God. It was because what he had done wasn't forgiven by men. That make sense? Eventually, Jamie got on the microphone, and, and Jim came out. When he walked out on that stage, I'll never forget it. Because of the honor Tommy Barnett gave to Jim Baker, I saw 6,000 pastors stand to their feet and give him a standing ovation as he walked in the room, and he was restored. He, he couldn't even turn towards the congregation. He, all you could see was this, just convulsing, fell into his son's arms. But from that day, and I'm not saying he's been perfect since then, but I am saying that. I saw that, that night the power uh, of, of, of shame becoming honor. Does that make sense? So this is what Paul says to the shame and honor culture that's there in the room. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, For he chose us. We're a decision. We're not an obligation. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. Again, what great honor is this? He predestined us for what? Adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ and according with his pleasure and will. So in saying this, Paul says, listen, not only has Jesus' blood dealt with that part of us that was wrong, now what's wrong has been forgiven. You didn't do the time deserved, I did the time that was deserved. You didn't pay for your sin, I paid for your sin. But beyond that, and you guys got to hear me, because some of you still are kind of the worst thing you ever did. And let me tell you something, you are not the worst thing you ever did. There's that season I'm so ashamed of, those things I did that were so wrong, that, that relationship I blew up, that addiction season, I, I understand that. But remember this, Jesus didn't just save you from the wrong actions, Jesus saved you from shame. We are forgiven and we are restored into the family of God. Now, people may take a while to catch on to that, but understand this, if Jesus says you're mine, you're his. He who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? If only there were like a center that people could come to to find freedom, we could call it like... Freedom Center. And, and people would show up. We'd have to find chairs and talk about what God has done for people. So Paul has talked about this. Now, the third culture is this. Talks about fear and power. I've, I've seen this firsthand in Africa. I've seen this in the Caribbean, especially in Haiti, the, the voodoo type stuff. Remember, uh, guilt is what we've done. Shame is who we are that has to be dealt with. And this fear and power is like we are what the spirits allow us to be as we please them or appease them or God help us offend them. I've seen blood sacrifices. Um, I've seen all kinds of just strange, you know, we, I remember singing down by the beach at sunset in northern Haiti up uh, Cape Haitian. They're desperately poor, children starving everywhere, malaria outbreaks, just awful. And I, I remember as we were singing worship to the Lord, you could hear the drums beating in the background. That was the voodoo priest cursing the compound because they, they saw the power of God coming into the community. How many know that when light comes in, darkness has to flee? So they had an objection to it. Instead of people going to the shamans, instead of people going to the witch doctors, instead of people going to voodoo, they were turning to Jesus because they were losing their, their prominence and their livelihood because Jesus was setting people free and demons were coming out, healings were taking place, the power of God was being made manifest. Because of that, they're like, hey, no, our power is more powerful. But, so they put like that, an evil eye on somebody and instead of them dying, they lived. 
they were blessed, they prospered. So people started to turn to Jesus because of his power over theirs, right? So this is a terrible way to live, and I see it all over the world. But Jesus, Paul saying this, is greater than all these things. Now, I, I know like, we're not talking about worship yet, but we really are. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 shows us to that culture. It says that power is the same as the strength, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but you can trust this for generations to come. Are you seeing this? So we've, we've got guilt and innocence. We've got shame and honor. We have fear and power. Paul puts it in one sentence here in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may have, know the hope, there's the guilt and innocence, to which you were called, the riches of his glorious inheritance, part of the family, as his holy people. That, that deals with the shame and honor culture. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. There's the fear and power. You get this? So we need to understand, we need to believe, we need to walk in what um, Jason George's book, The 3D Gospel, he calls it the 3D Gospel. So it's not, it's not just we're safe from guilt. Because we're kind of a guilt and innocent society, many of our walks with God end with guilt being dealt with, but not shame and not fear. Are you still here? Let me give you an example. I raised my hand. I said a prayer. I filled out a card. I went to a class. I was baptized in water. I attended the church. I, am, I mean, I, I see myself as someone who's been forgiven for my past. But when, when anybody tries to honor people, hey, you should come up and share your testimony. Oh, oh no, I, I don't want to do that. Well, why not? I mean, God's done a glorious work in your life. Well, yeah, I mean, he has, but you don't, I mean, people still know me as the guys. People still know me as the girl that, did this or blew up that or got caught doing these or... Listen, let me tell you something. What Jesus has done is not just forgiven you that which you are guilty of and made you innocent. Jesus also removes the shame by making you his. I had a sister. I'm sorry. I have a sister. I mean, she's not in my life to any great extent. She's probably watching right now. Hi, Janet. And, And if this offends you, forgive me, but you can't reach me from where you're at, so I'm okay. But my sister Janet, she was like the roller derby queen of Eastover Elementary in the mean streets of Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, where I was raised until first grade. But I remember that, that sense that as long as I got to Jan, I was safe. If someone said, you're stupid, I'd go hide behind Jan. Why? Because Jan could beat him up. I'm going to kill you. You know, power. Oh, yeah? Stand behind Jan. I am resting in the shelter of her wings. The name of my sister is a strong tower, and the righteous shall run into it and be glad. You can't touch me. Why? Because greater is he who's next to me than who who's coming after me. I remember Todd Page, the school bully, and one of my best friends. It was, he's like, you know, he beat me up one time, and I just, you know, Jan just came at him like a charging bear that, you know, her cub was being assaulted. She beat that boy bloody and dirty and snotty. He's crying. There's tears and blood and dirt and snot. It was a wonderful day for me. <laughs> Fully vindicated. But you know what? I got a little cocky. A few days later, I'm like, well, you're so stupid. Hey, you're a girl. Hey, hey. You know, before there's social media, we just insulted each other to our faces. You might not remember that, but now it's all the passive-aggressive stuff. And I remember I got so snotty, and, and he said, listen, if your sister wasn't here right now, I said, but my sister is here right now. So what are you going to do about it? Well, I didn't know. As my sister's like, he's being a jerk. He just, she just went, kill him. Walked away. So... 
But, but you see that when my sister was there, if I was guilty of something, she'd forgive me. And if my sister was there, if there was something that would shame me, she would make sure that it was more ashamed than I was. She overcame it, right? If there's something that wanted to make me afraid, my sister came in with power. Well, if Janet Wiegand can do that, Jesus Christ can do that too. Not on a playground, man, but on a factory floor in a school, at the office in the neighborhood. He does this for us. And maybe this is familiar to you or maybe it's not, but this is something that Tammy taught me years ago that's become part of kind of our language here. It's from orphans to heirs, orphan, son, and heirs. Let me ask you this. What, what is the devil's weapon to keep us? And if you're on camera, I want to make sure all this is here because I'm not sure they have this slide. But what is the devil, what, what, what makes us orphans? No, okay, that's, we're going to get to that in a minute. Remember we're talking about, about guilt and innocence. We talked about um, shame and honor. We talked about fear and power. So I am an orphan because something is, is between my heart and God's heart. Does that make sense? And what the devil wants to do is to make sure you never move to a place of forgiveness. He wants you to be guilty. Why? Because then if I don't have God, well, then I'm afraid. And my fear motivates me to worry and hoarding and anger and manipulation. I can't be me. I have to provide for myself. I have to protect myself. Why? Because I have no God. If I had a God, if I had a daddy, if I had a mom, if I had a Janet, a sister, if I had a family, but I don't, I'm an orphan. All I have is me. All I trust is me. All I love is me. And everybody that looks like anybody else that ever hurt me gets put on a list of people I try to keep at arm's length. I developed a fortress to keep people out. As it turns out, when you're the only one inside of a fortress, it's actually a jail. It's not a fortress. So the devil wants to use guilt to make sure you never understand what God's love has done for you through Jesus Christ. You see that? But if you did understand, and you want to move into the realm of being a son, so um, I used to be angry, but now I have peace. I used to manipulate to get my way, now I trust. And again, camera guy, join me here to make sure we see this. Like, what is it that would keep us from going from an orphan? Even though we're forgiven, what would keep us from going to the column where all the good stuff happens as a son or a daughter? It's shame. It's, it's, it's not what I've done that's been dealt with, but it's who I am. You don't understand, Jim. Yes, I'm forgiven for my alcoholism, but I hurt a lot of people when I was an addict. You don't understand. And I'm not saying you haven't hurt people. I'm saying that because you've been forgiven, your guilt has been dealt with. Somebody say amen. Because you've been adopted, your shame has been dealt with. And because your shame has been dealt with, now you can go deal with your shame. You can actually go to the people you hurt and make things right. You can actually go help other people that are addicted and being free from shame, saying, you know what? I don't know everything, but I know the way out of guilt. I know the way out of shame. And if you get that far, listen, if you start living this one where you're, you're not in fear, you're in surrender, you're, you're not in anger, you're in peace, you're not in dishonesty, you're in truth, let me tell you, they're dangerous when they get there. I mean, I just know the people that know they're forgiven by God, they're honest. You know, does this shirt make me look fat? They say, no, it's, it's not the shirt. <laughs> okay. Right? If you get that far, what is it that would keep us from being an heir? It's, it's, it's fear and power. Do you see that? So we, this guilt makes us this. It wants us to stay here. But if we're given, if we are forgiven, what the devil wants to do is make sure that shame keeps us from being a son. And if we get through this, then fear wants to keep us from praying for the sick, from being a peacemaker, from walking without fear, from living in contentment and generosity. The things that keep me from being like Jesus, it's my guilt, it's my shame, and it's my fear. Do you get that? And the things that make me like Jesus is it's my, it's my innocence. It's my honor that he gives me. And it's the power that works within me to be like Jesus in this world. Right? Are you getting this today? Oh, my goodness. Ben, join me if you would, please. I, I think it's time to land the plane here. Um, 
I'm having fun. Even in my shirt that makes me look fat. I've said all this because I want to say one thing to you. I know some of you are like, this is a series on worship. Are we talking about guilt and shame? And so what does this have to do with worship? Why, why are we talking about the forgiveness of God, the restoration of God, and the power of God? Why is this valuable to us in the context of worship? And I, I just, please don't raise your hands and please don't close your eyes and please don't bow your heads. But I think as I was talking, I saw some people kind of go, ah, I'm forgiven, but I still walk in shame. Ah, I'm forgiven, I don't walk in shame, but I haven't, I haven't pressed into that last category of really being like Jesus. I'm, I like Jesus, but I'm not like Jesus. And why is that? Well, I, I'm just afraid of, I'm just concerned about. So as the piano rob starts to play there, like what, what does this have to do with worship? And this is it, you ready? We only receive the love that we believe we deserve. Can you see why this is an issue that deals with worship? When, when our hearts are feeling guilty before the Lord, say, come on, let's worship the Lord. You're like, well, I, dude, I would, but I know what I did last night. Come on, let's, let's fill these altars. Let's praise Jesus. I, probably not the best Sunday to do that. That's guilt speaking, right? So what has Jesus done with our sins? By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, dying in our place, his cross, but really it's our sin. He's dying for us. He's paying the debt. He's buying us back out of the slavery we sold ourselves into. By doing that, we, we can, no matter what you did last night, as long as you have this, I'm not saying, so just do it again next week and next week. I'm not saying that. But literally, if you are repentant of your sins, like, I, that's not who I'm supposed to be. Father, I'm, that, my bad. That's not right. That's not who I am. Then today, here, now, in your own way, silently, publicly, standing, crying, snotting, sitting, praying, meditating, you can come to, the, to the, the Father of Heavenly Lights and say, God, I screwed up. I mean, I screwed up bad. I probably owe a lot of apologies, but the first one I have to come up with is you. I'm just, I sinned against heaven and earth. I sinned against you. I, uh, you know, I deserve punishment. I'm so grateful that punishment is not my inheritance. Forgiveness is. I don't have to go kill a bull or a ram or some sort of sacrificial animal. Jesus was the Lamb of God. God sacrificed, spotless lamb, took away the sins of the world. Because of that, I can stand before you and ask for mercy knowing that I receive it. And if you do that, there's this whole new world of being a son, being a daughter that's available to you. And what will keep you from being that is you'll say, uh, man, I just got saved. I'm a, I'm a new Christian. I, don't, I haven't read the Bible. I still got a lot of fault in me. I don't really, and we get, yeah, but the things that I did and the things that I people I hurt and my reputation and my family even I just I get that guys listen we, we have hurt people how I many if you've never told a lie in your life would you please raise your hand and identify yourself as a liar you scratch your nose Kim you may be nervous for a second I'm like whoa you can't be nine feet tall and move it just it just everybody's gonna notice you know so what do we do with shame well Jesus died for our sins yes but Jesus also adopted us who's your daddy I know what you, no, no, who's your daddy? But that one time, you, I am not what I have done. I am what Jesus has done for me. Yeah. And if I believe that, faith to faith, moving in this, I just, I trust that that's true. That scripture verifies it. Paul testifies to it. Jesus died for it. I receive it. I'm going to live that reality. I'm going to believe that. Then you move from an orphan 
forgiven of your guilt, dealt with, adopted to, to remove your shame. Remember the prodigal son comes home. He's like, I'm, I just, I'm so unworthy. Just like make me like a slave. I just want to be a slave. And the father goes, you weren't born to be a slave. You were born to be a son. So we're not even going to talk about what's been dealt with. You've repented. You've turned from it. Now come here. I'm going to restore you as my son. And if you get that far, guys, then there's this whole other realm, this whole other realm of mercy to take us through our fears into his power. Listen, if you have guilt, then you won't give or receive love because of what you've done. If you have shame, you don't give or receive love because of who you are. And if you have fear, you don't give or receive love because you'll disappoint or be disappointed. But here's the good news. Come on, everybody say good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ takes believers from guilt to innocence, shame to honor, and fear to power. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for you. That's who you are. That's who he is. That's the power of the sacrifice that's made. And so I, I'll come so far, I'll come far enough, I'll come so far enough like, like a guilty person who's been made innocent. Well, that's, that's wonderful. That's a step. But what if we came a little bit farther this morning, not just from guilt and innocence, but my shame is erased because he's honored me by making me his son, his child, his daughter. And what if we went a little bit farther and said he's further honored me by empowering me with the Holy Spirit to be a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Are you here this morning? You hear what I'm saying? I want this one last thing, and then we're going to worship. Matter of fact, stand your feet. Nobody leave. Young people, if you're out there in the foyer, come join us as I pull up my pants for the 19th time. Last question. If you heard it before, just, just go along with it. A lot of people here that haven't heard this, and I, it's so important what we're doing today. There's Peter as a disciple, has a certain reputation. Do you agree? He's, you know, he's the, if they're not going to say anything stupid, Pete. Everybody's going to fall in the water, Pete. Everyone's going to like know that Jesus is the Messiah and in the next breath be rebuked because there's a devil inside of him, Pete. That's Peter, right? Like Peter doesn't have private thoughts. Peter doesn't know what he's thinking until he hears himself say it. Anybody know anybody like that? Right? You got Matthew, former tax collector. Very meticulous. Let's make sure all the histories, all the Jews are in his gospel. You know? And then you've got this guy named John. Anybody know what John's kind of CV handle was? He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, we have to ask a question. There certainly is a tighter relationship between John and Jesus than any of the other 11 disciples. Do you see that? Last Supper, John is sitting with his, his head, like literally like in a weird, culturally it's not weird, but to us today it's like the dude was snuggling with another dude. But his head was against his breast. He was, he was hearing the heartbeat of the Son of God. And they said, hey, come here, come here. Ask him this question. Why? Because John had a proximity, had a relationship, had a, a best friendship. He was just, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now let me ask you a question. Why was John the disciple whom Jesus loved? Is, is Jesus playing favorites? I love Pete, but sooner or later that dude's going to say something stupid and I'm going to be standing next to him. So, I like Matt, but honestly, how often can we talk about numbers? I, I would suggest to you that Jesus isn't playing favorites. I would suggest to you, and I want you to hear me, because this pertains to you as we go to worship. These altars will become an offering plate for your lives once again. I think John was the disciple whom Jesus loved simply for this reason. John was the disciple that let Jesus love him. I think that was it. Can you imagine? 
could it really be that simple? Could it really be that uncomplicated? But what about the hermeneutics of Luke and historiography, Reverend? Stop. I think John was the disciple whom Jesus loved because John was the one that let Jesus love him. I can see Jesus like, hey, Pete. Yeah, Lord. Love you, man. Weirdo. He's a fisherman. What do you think he's going to say, right? Yeah, okay. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Matthew. Yeah, Lord. Love you, man. You know what's funny about love? The Greek word love has 14 different delineations of it that mean all these different... And Jesus is like, dude. Which again would be a Greek word, dude. It has 14 U's in the word dude. But he went to John. John. Yeah, Lord. I love you, man. Oh, hey. I love you too. Could it be that simple? Let's find out. Today's altar call is not about just having your sins forgiven and and the justice of God being served. It's not just about shame being removed. It's not just about power being in place. It's so much more. And if you could just understand this, that this inexhaustible, unsearchable, uh, abundant riches that are found in the gospel, like if, if you have been forgiven, but you haven't experienced what it is to live before a holy God without shame, and without fear. Then there's more. You get that? How do I get that more? Well, study the word fear and all of us know. The only way for an adopted child, and Tammy, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but a child who hasn't been loved, like you gotta prove love over and over and over again before I love you becomes I love you too. Is that, if it ever does, right? So what if God said I love you to you like a thousand times this week? And you're like, yeah, well, I am what I've done. Hey, I love you. I, I know, but I, I am the worst thing that I ever did 27 years ago, 27 minutes ago, 27 days ago. Hey, man, I, I love you. I, I know, but the, the requirement of loving you back means I have to be light and salt. I just don't know if I'm ready for that. What if they ask me a question? I don't know the answer. What if, what if today you didn't worry about the outcome? You just sought his face, and you just led him. You found a position. You found a place. We've had some pretty great moments of worship. But today it's a very wonderful set of meditative surgeries I think God wants to do in the hearts of people. So, Father, we bow our heads and our hearts and our lives before the one, the only, the true wise God who's led us to a place in our hearts and our minds and our lives, God. Maybe we're 70 and it's like I've never, I've never lived in a moment of my life without shame because the holiness movement told me I was a sinner and Repentance, 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 repentance always kept me like close to God. But Father, today I, I just, I, I think we're 17 and man, we're really struggling with our bodies, with our minds, with our depression, with our anxiety, with lust. I, you know, I, I could ask for forgiveness, but I think I'm going to do it again because I am a sinner. Like, just help us to begin to say only the things you would say over your children about our identity, about our past, about our future. We thank you now, God. Moving our lives, we pray.